Um, actually, we could do a cold open. Should we do a cold open? Okay, hold on. All right, one, two, three, action. I'm actually really glad that I'm reading some books to you for the first time since high school, Jess. I think <laughs> it's like a good education for you. <laughs> My God, Matt. Um, just because I didn't go to private school like somebody <laughs> does not mean I did not have a good education. But, uh, you somehow- only remember that because I'm literally wearing the Ignatius <laughs> shirt. No, that's not why I remember that. I see how you walk around opening doors for people, <laughs> private school stuff. <laughs> Dude, everyone at John Carroll, our college, everyone would hold the doors. You'd be like 50 feet away and then doors open. You're like, dang it. And of course, I always felt bad. I'd like hustle up to get to the door because, you know, oh. That and uh, unless they went to, if a male went to a public high school, that door was never held open. (laughs) That is a fact. Well, welcome to the first episode of Rebar Reads. It's season one, and I'm so excited because I'm going to get to read to you a classic in the public domain book with a guest. And this season, first season ever, It's going to be two of the greatest things that I know. The Great Gatsby, the book by F. Scott Fitzgerald, and the one, the only, the New York City new resident, the hilarious comedian, the blonde bombshell. Be careful with your drinks around her. Jess Lockhart joins the show. (laughs) And food. (laughs) Well, be careful with food because you'll take it. (laughs) And the drinks. Uh, <laughs> that was a great opener. Yeah. Woo! Especially, um, I think it's an honor to be <laughs> introduced after Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so look, real quick before we start reading the book, because, yeah, we're going to literally read the book with some color commentary. Uh, have you ever read The Great Gatsby, Jess? No, but I've seen the movie um, with Leo Nardo DiCaprio in it in mm-hmm. high school, which means, you know, like, attendance could have impacted me from seeing the movie from start to finish. (laughs) I've seen like the trailer for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I never read this because, you know, I was a big reader in high school. I was kind of a nerd back then, Jess, um, in case that wasn't obvious. And I was always reading books, but like, I always figured I'd have to read the great Gatsby for a class. So I never read it of my own volition until now. So, and I've seen the movie too. Of course, the Lana Del Rey song, Young and Beautiful, classic right there. Uh, but I'm excited to read it. And I hope that you get comfy. I hope you don't fall asleep. <laughs> You're like, oh, maybe. All right. Should we go into it? Okay. Chapter Bust one. it open. In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. Whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, he told me, just remember that all the people in the world haven't had the advantages that you've had. That's actually really educated for the time. That's This is 1925. That's a pretty modern statement, right? I don't know. I, it's so hard to like listen without subtitles, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we know where this is going. This <laughs> <laughs> be like wow that character's death was really impactful and just is like who who died what what <laughs> he didn't say any more but we've always been unusually communicative in a reserved way and i understood that he meant a great deal more than that in consequence i'm inclined to reserve all judgments a habit that has opened up many curious natures to me and also has made me the victim of not a few veteran bores The abnormal mind is quick to detect and attach itself to this quality when it appears in a normal person. Uh, We don't know anything about that. And so it came about that in college, I was unjustly accused of being a politician because I was privy to the secret griefs of wild, unknown men. Oh, Jess, you too are familiar to secret griefs of wild, unknown men. Oh, I think they're known. (laughs) (laughs) I think they know the griefs you give them. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Most of the confidences were unsought. Frequently, I have feigned sleep, preoccupation, or a hostile levity when I've realized by some unmistakable sign that an intimate revelation was quivering on the horizon. Oh, 
for the intimate revelations of young men, or at least the terms in which they express them, are usually plagiaristic and marred by obvious suppressions. Reserving judgments is a matter of infinite hope. I am still a little afraid of missing something if I forgot that my father snobbishly suggested, and I snobbishly repeat, a sense of the fundamental decencies is parceled out unequally at birth. And after boasting this way of my tolerance, I come to admission that it has a limit. Conduct may be founded on the hard rock or the wet marshes, but after a certain point, I don't care what it's founded on. When I came back from the East last autumn, I felt that I wanted the world to be in uniform and had a sort of moral attention forever. I wanted no more riotous excursions with privileged glimpses into the human heart. Only Gatsby, oh, the man who gives his name to this book, was exempt from my reaction. Gatsby, who represented everything for which I have an unaffected scorn. Oh, I am I feel like there's like a little bit of like a, a love-hate romance here, don't you? Yeah, um, I think he's, you know, people who talk the most shit are people whose shit's not together. So that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Sounds very judgmental already. <laughs> <laughs> so you do not like our narrator. That is for sure. <laughs> he's going to be out here with us this whole time throughout the whole book. Oh, God. <laughs> Jess is like, can I cancel this podcast? <laughs> can it be Rebar Reads Alone? <laughs> okay. If personality is an unbroken series of successful gestures, then there was something gorgeous about Gatsby. Oh, he has a he has a gay crush. No one, no, no straight man calls another straight man gorgeous, right? Have you ever heard that? No. I hear good looking. Or hot sometimes, but not gorgeous. You're right. Well, because hot's like, that's hot. Like, it, maybe it's not hot to me, but that's hot. But gorgeous is like, that's gorgeous. Like, it's like a mm-hmm. like a, like a Brooklyn grandma. That's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. The, pointing this out is making the, the story way more interesting. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're on page five. Uh, <laughs> or three, actually. <laughs> can't, can't read. Uh, where were we? <laughs> he was gorgeous. I remember that. There was some heightened sensitivity to the promises of life, as if he were related to one of those intricate machines that register earthquakes ten thousand miles away. Oh, ooh, that's that's a hot image too. Um, how do we know the narrator's a man? And how do we know? Did he already say that? I mean, I remember from the movie, it's the guy who lives next door to Gatsby, right? Yeah, but but. I mean, just because we saw the movie doesn't mean it followed the book. Okay, well, we'll we'll wait to find. Well, for all we know, it could be. But I'm hoping it's like a, you know, like they went to summer camp once. He pinned him down to make out with him. And then all of a sudden he's like, now I have to write a whole book to like <laughs> really tell people about him. Maybe we should be re- reading that book. <laughs> We're going to get rid of Greg Gatsby and add like a homoerotic version of Greg Gatsby. Oh, God, this is going as chaotically as I hoped it would. This responsiveness had nothing to do with that flabby impressionable impression impressionability, which is dignified under the name of the creative temperament. It was an extraordinary gift for hope a romantic readiness such as I had never found another person in which it is likely I shall never find again. Oh, God, we get it. No, Gatsby turned out all right at the end. It is what (laughs) preyed on Gatsby, what foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams that temporarily closed out my interest in the abortive sorrows and short-winded elations of men. Oh, oh. (laughs) short-winded elations, oh my. Of men too. Oh my god! I think Maybe he wanted short. Are... are you sure what version of the Great Gatsby are we reading? <laughs> oh, it's it's Pornhub.com/slash/gay. <laughs> XXX. <laughs> also, I think he had a typo. I think instead of short-winded elations of men, he meant short-winded erections of men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that autocorrect. <laughs> My family have been prominent well-to-do people in the middle western city for three generations. The Caraways were something of a clan. Yeah, Nick Caraway. That's the guy who lives next door. Yeah. Um, the Caraways are something of a clan, and we have a tradition that we are descended from the Dukes of 
Bucal bu- Bucaluke? Bucals for sure. Bucals? Yes, Bugles. Hmm. <laughs> Duke of Beagles. <laughs> He's just like with his fingernails on the bugles on his fingernails judging across the neighbors. <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. Our narrator. My granddaddy found the chips bugles. <laughs> Um, but the actual founder of my line was my grandfather's brother, who came here in 51, sent a substitute to the Civil War, and started the wholesale hardware business that my father carries on to today. Oh, he got out of the Civil War. (laughs) I never saw this great uncle, but I'm supposed to look like him, with special reference to the rather hard-boiled painting that hangs in father's office. I graduated from New Haven in 1915, just a quarter of a century after my father, and a little later I participated in that delayed Teutonic migration known as the Great War. I enjoyed the counter-raid so thoroughly that I came back restless. Instead of being the warm... Oh, you know why he enjoyed the, the army? Because he's probably <laughs> doing a lot of gay shit. I'm sorry. I Someone had to say it. Who, who's like, I loved being in the army for World War One. Jess, do you know how bad World War One was? It was like trench warfare. They were like in those trenches, living their lives, being shelled down. It was a terrible war. I I heard um, every war is a terrible war. So it's just at this point, I think it's over you. <laughs> <laughs> Jess, it was World War One. There hadn't been a world war before World War One. Well, it's obviously they had to have a second world war because. They wanted more gay sex and to be away from women because we did such a good job running the world while they were all fucking each other. <laughs> They're like, oh, we can go for another one. <laughs> oh, my God. They were like, we got to get out of here, Cindy. And that's why Vietnam lasted so long, too. They're like, oh, I can't go back to Barbara. She's so annoying. Barbara has this like thing between her legs called a vagina. <laughs> Bob is going to ask me about the jello salad again. I can't stand it, Andrew. Don't worry, Michael. Come into oh my, my arms right now. God, oh that jello God. salad is so gross. Honestly, that would make me want to do another world war. <laughs> Jess is like confronted with eat jello salad, start a world war. <laughs> I mean, as long as I can watch this time. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so after he went to World War One and loved it, um, he... <laughs> Sparks notes over here. <laughs> We're like Spark notes explicit. I love it. <laughs> uh, instead of being the warm center of the world, the Middle West now seemed like the ragged edge of the universe. So I decided to go east and learn the Bond business. Everybody I knew was in the Bond business. I bet his favorite Bond was James Bond. Oh. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, so I, I bet his favorite bond was between him and his, this neighbor that he's obsessed with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they did a lot of bond in <laughs> <laughs> or and uh, bonded, <laughs> bonded. Oh my god! Uh, everyone I knew was in the bond business, so I suppose I could support one more single man. All my aunts and uncles talked it over as if they were choosing a prep school for me and finally said, why, yes, with a very grave, hesitant faces. And father came to father agreed to finance me for a year. And after various delays, I came east permanently, I thought, in the spring of 1922. The practical thing was to find rooms in the city, but it was a warm season, and I had just left a country of wide lawns and friendly trees, so when a young man at the office suggested that we take a house together in the commuting town, it sounded like a great idea. I bet it huh. did. I bet it did. What was the best part? What what seemed more great? Was it the fact that it was a commute? <laughs> was it the fact that it was a long commute, or was it the fact that there was a man in the house with you? It's definitely the last one. <laughs> Who's like, That's I actually love my long commute. Like, even back then, they didn't even have cars back then. They were, like, walking, right? Um, 1922? Like, 20 miles an hour, so I think some people could jiggle faster than 20 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, crazy. Um, He had found I'm the thinking, house. Is this just about friendship? Because I'm going to feel real bad if they're not lovers. I don't know. I'm getting a weird vibe, personally, but I could be personal bias. I don't know. Um, so not the narrator, but the narrator's future roommate found the house, a weather-beaten cardboard bungalow at 80 a month. Oh my God. Can you imagine 
if you can get a weather-beaten cardboard bungalow for 80 a month in today's money? I don't even know what a Woodrow cardboard bungalow is. I know what a bungalow is, but what's the what are these adjectives? <laughs> a weather-beaten cardboard bungalow. For Basically, 80 a month? I don't want anything beaten or weathered for 80 a month. That's too much money. <laughs> Jess, Jess, Jess is like, I'm already living in a weather-beaten cardboard bungalow. <laughs> And I paid two grand a month. One point five mil. No, no, no. One point two. I don't want to lie. <laughs> That's else. But anyway. Uh oh. But at the last minute, the firm ordered the roommate to Washington, and I went out to the country alone. Oh no! Single, single again. Oh, poor guy. I wouldn't say it's single. It's just like now you don't have a tracker. Right. <laughs> I had a dog. At least I had him for a few days until he ran away. And an old Dodge and a Finnish woman who made my bed and cooked breakfast and muttered Finnish wisdom to herself over the electric stove. It was a lonely. It was lonely for a day or so until one morning, some man more recently arrived than I stopped me on the road. How do you get to West Egg Village? He asked helplessly. I told him. And as I walked on, I was lonely no longer. I was a guide, a pathfinder, an original settler. He had casually conferred on me the freedom of the neighborhood. And so with the sunshine and the great bursts of leaves growing on the trees, just as things grow in fast movies, I had the familiar conviction that life was beginning over again with the summer. There was so much to read, for one thing, and so much fine health to be pulled down out of the young, breath-giving air. I bought a dozen volumes on banking and credit and investment securities, and they stood on my shelf in red and gold like new money from the mint, promising to unfold the shining secrets that only Midas and Morgan and McCannis knew. And I had the intention, the high intention, of reading many other books besides. I was rather literary in college. Oh, come on. You if know you have is... to say that, then you weren't. <laughs> Why? Were you very literary in college, Jess? I have never had to even say that sentence because people already know by speaking with me. <laughs> they <don't. laughs> you got like, your you got your diploma and was like, is it this means this is a diploma, right? This isn't like a menu for the reception after, right? I was like, I really like this leather bound you have. <laughs> when Jess goes to Cheesecake Factory, she gets stumped. <laughs> First of all, if we're going to go down the Cheesecake Factory route, <laughs> I have some things to say about Cheesecake Factory. Okay, let's take a break. <laughs> but, uh, back to um, the new money that was printed. Can we? Should we go back into mm. that? <laughs> okay, fine. We can save Cheesecake Stories for later. Um, blah, 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 blah. I was rather literary in college. One year, I wrote a series of very solemn and obvious editorials for the Yale News. Oh, he went to Yale. Oh, he, Do you think he had a sweatshirt that says Yale back then? Oh, 150 billion percent. <laughs> and now I was going to bring back all such things into my life and become again that most limited of all specialists, the well-rounded man. This isn't just an epigram. Life is much more successfully looked at from a single window, after all. It was a matter of chance that I should have rented a house in one of the strangest communities in North America. It was on that slender, riotous island which extends itself due east of New York and where there are, among other natural curiosities, two unusual formations of land. Twenty miles from the city, a pair of enormous eggs, identical in contour and separated only by a courtesy bay, just out into the most domesticated body of salt water in the Western Hemisphere, the great wet barnyard of Long Island Sound. They are the not... great wet barnyard. I feel like that's what people would describe having sex with me. It's like <laughs> that's be the name of our gay our gay bar when we're older and we go into management. Like, <laughs> great wet, the great wet barnyard. It's like just barn, sexy barn vibes. <laughs> but also, is it just me? I don't like a pair of enormous eggs as a descriptor. I thought of balls. Did you think of that? A pair of enormous eggs, like two enormous eggs what was um 
it's been challenging since I'm listening to every third word that you're saying, but um, <laughs> can you repeat the sentence? <laughs> he said 20 miles from the city, a pair of enormous eggs. He's talking about land that looks like eggs, I guess. Oh, we know what those are. That is the Indian burial grounds. That land is not yours. Good narrator. Oh, <laughs> good background. Thank you. I don't know. Um, they are not perfect ovals like the egg in the Columbus story. They are both crushed flat at the contact end, but their physical resemblance must be a source of perpetual confusion <laughs> to the gulls that fly overhead. To the wingless, a more arresting phenomenon is their dissimilarity in every particular except shape and size. I lived at West Egg, the, well, less fashionable of the two, though this is a most superficial tag to express the bizarre and not a little sinister contrast between them. My house was at the very tip of the egg. Oh, come on. The very tip of the egg. Oh, come on. I just like, okay. Why would, okay. I just don't know why we're talking about these eggs so much. But <laughs> like, just say mountain. Like you're, you had a mountain house. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> no, they're on the beach, Jess. They're on the beach. It's okay. on like an egg, a land that's like shaped like an egg. Uh, he's only 50 yards from the sound and squeezed between, oh my God, squeezed between two huge places that rented for 12 or 15,000 a season. Is he talking about you and I? <laughs> oh, oh, come on. that That's funny. Two huge Wait, places. Wait, is that real? Yeah, it's squeezed. Line? Yes. I'm... Is he talking about you and I? Did he no, say that? No, no, oh. no. I, he's <laughs> oh talking to, <laughs> let me read it again for all our <laughs> listeners at home. Uh, he said, that the his house, it was uh, squeezed between two huge places that rented for twelve or fifteen thousand a season. And I said, "Is he talking about you and I as two huge places that rented for twelve or fifteen thousand a season?" <laughs> oh I thought you were trying to say that we would only cost like fifteen thousand dollars for three months <laughs> honestly, i wish i think i'm bad. i think i'm a, a, that wet cardboard bungalow for 80 honestly <laughs> uh where are we at here we go um the one on my right was a colossal affair by Eddie Standard. It was a factual imitation of some Hotel de Ville in Normandy with a tower on one side spanking new under a thin bead of raw ivy on a marble swimming pool and more than 40 acres of lawn and garden. It was Gatsby's mansion. Uh-oh. It was... Let me, let, me, let me reread that in a breathy tone. It was uh, Gatsby's mansion. Or rather, as I didn't know Mr. Gatsby, it was a mansion inhabited by a gentleman of that name. My own house was an eyesore, but it was a small eyesore, and had been overlooked, so I had a view of the water, partial view of my neighbor's lawn, and the consoling proximity of millionaires, all for $80 a month. Across the Courtesy Bay, the white palaces of the fashionable East Egg glittered along the water, and the history of the summer really begins on the evening I drove over there to have dinner with the Tom Buchanans. Daisy was my second cousin once removed, and I had known Tom in college. And after the war, I just spent two days with them in Chicago. <laughs> he got back. He, he landed in Chicago after the war. It was like, I got to go back. <laughs> Chicago. Oh, my is God. this based on a true story or is this just supposed to be for like shits and giggles? I don't think it's based on a true story. But we're after we finish reading, we're going to have to do some research for sure. <laughs> um, Daisy's husband, among various physical accomplishments. Oh, do tell. Had been one of the most <laughs> powerful ends that had ever played football at New Haven, a national figure in a way, one of those men who would reach such an acute limited excellence at 21 that everything afterwards savors of anticlimax. His family were enormously wealthy. Even in college, his freedom with money was a matter for reproach. But now he'd left Chicago and come east in a fashion that rather took your breath away. For instance, he brought down a string of polo ponies from Lake Forest. It was hard to realize that a man of my own generation was wealthy enough to do that. Why they came east, I don't know. They had spent a year in France for no particular reason, and then drifted here and there unrestfully wherever people played polo and were rich together. This was a... <laughs> I love that. That's so shady. Where, wherever people were rich together. <laughs> Hi, we, we want to... We're looking at Tulsa, but we're just concerned that there's no rich people who play polo. Can we verify that before we move here? Hi, uh, uh, Newark, Jersey. We're wondering... <laughs> Is there rich people who play polo? Oh, my God. 
Uh, so it's just about a guy who doesn't have money and he's just observing the rich. He's just fascinated with rich people. I and think a little bit. I think it's definitely like he, he feels a little bit of an outsider, but he likes that he's kind of an outsider who's also on the inside. Because he's gonna, he's like friends with these people, and he like knows these people. So, um, but friends with them because they feel bad for him, or are they friends with him because they they're like, oh, we're neighbors. Well, in this context, Daisy's his second cousin, so he's related to Daisy. He knew Tom and Connie, so he he knows these two. He he goes back with them. I'm sure he knew Tom in college. We're not doubting. Well, Todd was a perfect tight end or whatever they said. Earlier, so. <laughs> I heard. I, I, I heard too. <laughs> <laughs> but now he's with a woman because had to settle down someday. I know. Uh, you know. That's the what? What is this? The forties or the twenties? Twenties. Yeah. Uh, you weren't. That's all you were allowed to do. Yeah. Settle I down. have to say though. So my question down. is: So I and I'm sure that this will be answered. So I'm assuming Daisy doesn't really come from that much money. Or like middle class, so she married into wealth. I'm assuming, so we'll have to find out. Uh, this was a permanent move," said Daisy over the telephone. But I didn't believe it. I had no sight into Daisy's heart, but I felt that Tom would drift on forever, seeking a little wistfully for the dramatic turbulence of some irrecoverable football game. Oh, so basically, that's kind of saying that he thinks Tom, his best days were in college. He peaked, and that Tom's gonna spend the rest of his life trying to get back to that peak. I mean, if you're known as like a tight end in college, there's only so many like job opportunities for you after that. <laughs> and that that, t- that tight end went loose quickly. Honestly, I. <laughs> okay, where are we? Um, and so it happened that on a warm, windy evening, I drove over to the East Egg to see two old friends who I scarcely knew at all. Their house was even more elaborate than I expected, a cheerful red and white Georgian colonial mansion overlooking the bay. The lawn started at the beach and ran towards... Oh my God. They're like, by the way, they might be a racist. Georgian Georgian colonial mansion in New York? Ugh, tacky. Tacky. At at like worst tacky. At best, like you said, like inappropriate. Um... (laughs) The lawn started at the beach and ran towards the front door for a quarter of a mile, jumping over sundials and brick walls and burning gardens. Finally, when it reached the house drifting up the side in bright vines as though from the momentum of its run, the front was broken by a line of French windows, glowing now with reflected gold and wide open to the warm, windy afternoon. And Tom Buchanan, in riding clothes, was standing with his legs apart on the front porch. Okay, I feel like this book is gayer than like I'm not trying to make it gay. He was standing with his legs apart. You mean first of all, don't people stand with their legs apart in the first place? I think he's trying to show that he had like stature where he felt confident enough to stand like that. Like he wasn't reserved. I think when your legs are open, you're more welcoming. Maybe. <laughs> I'd say if your legs are apart, they're more welcoming, but that's just me. No legs open and apart. What's the difference between those words? <laughs> more if you're more welcoming, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay, where were we at? Tom had changed since his New Haven years. Now he was a sturdy, straw-haired man of thirty with a rather hard mouth. Oh, and a superfluous manner. Two shining, arrogant eyes had established dominance over his face and gave him the appearance of always leaning aggressively forward. Not even the effeminate swank of his riding clothes could hide the enormous power of that body. He seemed to fill those glistening boots until he strained the top lacing, and you could see a great pack of muscle shifting when his shoulder moved under his thin coat. It was a body... No! Okay. It's just very homoerotic, I I think. I don't know. No wonder only like the honors kids got to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the honors students can handle the gay stuff. I the dumb ones just can't. Like, well, the we're, dumb we're... ones want to do a play about it. <laughs> <laughs> we're still working on colors with the other class. We can't have them read this book. I can't believe we waited this long to do a project together because we we have such good synergy, girl. We are just killing it. <laughs> Go back uh, oh. to muscles under a shirt. What it was a body it? capable of enormous leverage, a cruel body. Oh, it's a cruel summer, cruel summer. But you know that song, no? Yeah, me. from from a band. 
I just know cool for the summer from Demi Lovato. So. <laughs> Can you imagine going to Gatsby's house and it's like cool for the summer? Don't tell your mother. <laughs> like, like, don't tell your mom. <laughs> Literally, don't. <laughs> Tom's speaking voice, a gruff husky tenor, added to the impression of frit frit. Fractitiousness. You got this, man. (laughs) What did he say? What fractitiousness uh, he conveyed? There's a, I think, like fractious, like, like there's like. I think we should look that up. But I'm assuming that means well, a tenor. I wouldn't say. I was. I think he's trying to say he sounds maybe youthful. Ooh, fractious. Um, fractiousness. The quality of being easily upset or annoyed and often complaining. Oh, oh. okay. So he's sounds he's like a, a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing. Um, there was a touch of parental contempt in it, even towards people he liked. And there were men at New Haven who hated Tom's guts. Mm, now, don't think my opinion on these matters is final. He seemed to say, just because I'm stronger and more of a man than you are. We were in the same senior society, and while we were never intimate, I had always had the impression that he approved of me and wanted me to think like him with some harsh, defiant wistfulness of his own. We talked in a few minutes on the sunny porch. I've got a nice place here, he said, his eyes flashing about restlessly. Turning me around by one arm, he moved a broad, flat hand along the front vista, including in its sweep a sunken Italian garden, a half-acre of deep, pugnant roses, and a snub-nosed motorboat that bumped the tide offshore. It belonged to Domaine, the oilman. He turned me around politely and abruptly. We'll go inside. We walked through a high hallway into a bright, rosy-colored space, fragilely bound into the house by French windows at either end. The windows were ajar and gleaming white, while the fresh grass outside that seemed to grow a little way into the house. A breeze blew through the room, blew curtains in at one end and out like pale flags, twisting them up towards the frosted wedding cake color of the ceiling, and then rippled over the wine-colored rug, making the shadow on it as wind does on the sea. The only complete, completely stationary object in the room was an enormous couch on which two young women were buoyed, buoyed up as though upon an anchored balloon. They were both in white, and their dresses were rippling and fluttering as if they had been blown back in after a short flight around the house. I must have stood for a few moments listening to the whip and snap of the curtains and the groan of the picture on the wall. There was a boom as Tom Buchanan shut the rear windows and the caught wind died out about, about the room. And the curtains really just are- kind of sounds like like an overthinker, mm. like the way that this narrator is describing everything. Like, how do you walk in a room and just witness? Or you know what? Maybe not an overthinker. Maybe he's just so present that like all of these things like are running through his body mm-hmm. every time. See, like the writer in me would be like, I would be like, that room was windy. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think it's a little too much, right? I don't know. Yeah, it's a little distracting, but it's definitely painting a picture. I, I definitely feel like I'm there. So good job, good, good, good. Gerald. <laughs> the younger of the two women was a stranger to me. She was extended full length at the end of her divan, completely motionless and with her chin raised a little as if she were balancing something on it, which was quite likely to fall. If she saw me out of the corner of her eye, she gave no hint of it. Indeed, I was almost surprised into murmuring an apology for having disturbed her by coming in. The other girl, Daisy, made an attempt to rise. She leaned slightly forward with a contentious expression. Then she laughed, an absurd, charming little laugh. <laughs> and I laughed, too. And g- There's no way it's that. <laughs> and that, you added that. Oh, I, I tried that. to set the scene. She gave I, an absurd, charming little laugh. <laughs> I feel like a feel charming like- little laugh would be like, <laughs> or something. Right? Wow! <laughs> Are we just gonna like do absurd, char- charming little laughs the whole rest of the episode? <laughs> and I laugh or, too. Ooh, I'm picturing like maybe a, a Mrs. Doubtfire sounding, but. Or maybe it's like a bird, like. Ah! <laughs> it's a charming little laugh. <laughs> <laughs> she laughed like Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Or it reminds me. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. 
There was this great episode of Family Guy, and there was like a joke where it's like, it's like going out with a girl who has a terrible laugh, and it's like this beautiful woman. She's like, I'm having a good time. And uh, Peter's like, oh, can I give you a kiss on your neck? And she's like, well, you know, that makes me ticklish. And he's like, okay, Cindy or whatever. And he kisses her neck, and she's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's the worst laugh ever. So it just cuts to me having a good time. <laughs> like, the <laughs> <an> episode. <laughs> Oh, okay. I think I have a voice I'm going to give Daisy. I'm paralyzed with happiness. Daisy laughed again as if she said something very witty and held my hand for a moment, looking up into my face, promising that there was no one in the world she would much wanted to see. That was a way she had. She hinted in a murmur that the surname of the balancing girl was Baker. I've heard it said that Daisy's murmur was only to make people lean toward her, an irrelevant criticism that made it no less charming. At any rate, Miss Baker's lips fluttered. She nodded at me almost imperceptibly and then quickly tipped her head back again. The object she was balancing had obviously tottered a little and given her something of a fright. Again, a sort of apology rose to my lips. Almost any exhibition of complete self-sufficiency draws a stunned tribute from me. I looked back at my cousin, who began to ask me questions in her low, thrilling voice. It was the kind of voice that the ear follows up and down, as if each speech is an arrangement of notes that will never be played again. Her face was sad and lovely with bright things in it, bright eyes and a bright, passionate mouth. Oh, oh my. <laughs> Give me that bright, passionate mouth, baby. <laughs> but there was an excitement in her voice. <laughs> But there was an excitement in her voice that men who had cared for her found difficult to forget. A singing compulsion, a whispered listen, a promise that she had done gay, exciting things that just a while <laughs> since, and that they were gay, exciting things hovering in the next hour. Oh, I bet he loves the idea they of <laughs> gay, exciting things hovering in the next hour. Does it actually says gay twice that close on yeah. the same Yeah, well, yeah, because in writing, it's like a parallelism. But back then, you know, gay meant happy, so... Yeah, but it also meant gay, too. <laughs> well, I don't think in the 20s it did. What did they call it? I don't know. Let me see. What did they call it? Let's see. What did they call gay men in the 1920s? That's what probably, it, the definition is. Probably like fairies or like... I know that it's just fun, creative, observant. <laughs> Interesting. It's interesting, too, because it says, well, this article says that gay culture blossomed during the Roaring Twenties. Oh, oh, interesting. That would make a lot of sense, especially with this book. Yeah, how many people were, like, drinking in Prohibition and probably like, I don't care, anyone can have me. You're like, I mean, a hole's a hole. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, I can't have my parents listen to this one. (laughs) Mom, don't support this podcast. (laughs) It is not a, a mama... A rebar. <laughs> it's not Mother Goose. This podcast. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Story hour with a lot of innuendo. Uh, where were we? Um, blah, 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 blah. I told her how I had stopped off in Chicago for a day on my way east, and how a dozen people had sent their love through me. <laughs> Send our love to them. Uh, uh, uh. That's my love. Send it. Uh. Oh, my God. A dozen people send their love through me. <laughs> it's also like such a sweet, nice thing to say, but also very. Whew. Dude, I'm telling you, I should have read this in high school. I would have loved it. I think maybe that's when you're like, oh, yeah. OK, I, sh- I wish I was born in the 20s. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Did they miss me? Daisy cried ecstatically. The whole town is desolate. All the cars have all the left rear wheel painted black. It's a morning reef, and there's a persistent whale all night at the North Shore. (laughs) How gorgeous. Let's go back, Tom. Tomorrow. Then she added irrelevantly, You ought to see the baby. I'd like to. She's asleep. She's three years old. Haven't you seen her ever? Never. Well, you ought to see her. She's... Tom Buchanan, who had been hovering restlessly above the room, stopped and rested my hand, his hand on my shoulder. What are you doing, Nick? I'm a bond man. Who with? I told him. Never heard of them, he remarked decisively. This annoyed me. You will, I answered shortly. You will if you stay in the East. I like how they're talking about New York like the East. Like, that's the East is New York. Oh, my goodness. It's so American. 
Uh, oh, I'll say in the East, don't you worry, Tom said, glancing at Daisy and then back at me as if he were alert for something more. I'd be a goddamn fool to live anywhere else. At this point, Miss Baker said, absolutely, with such suddenness that I startled. It was the first word she had uttered since I came in the room. Evidently, it surprised her as much as it did me, and for she yawned, and with a series of rapid, deft movements stood up from the room. I'm stiff, she complained. I've been lying on that sofa for as long as I can remember. Don't look at me, Daisy retorted. I've been trying to get you to New York all afternoon. No thanks, said Miss Baker to the four cocktails just in from the pantry. I'm absolutely in training. Her host looked at her incredulously. You are. You are. He took down his drink as if he were a drop in the bottom of the glass. How'd you ever get anything done as beyond me? I looked at Miss Baker, wondering what it was she got done. I enjoyed looking at her. Oh, she was a slender, small-breasted girl with an erect carriage, which she accentuated by throwing her body backwards at the shoulders like a young cadet. Oh! Carriage. And I'm not surprised that he had to refer a girl to a man. But what does an erect carriage mean? Like, I think, like, sturdy. She looks sturdy. Erect carriage. Or maybe they're good posture. Or is it carriages and butt and like it's a high butt? Oh, maybe. I was thinking like carriage, like baby carriage, like your, or maybe her fallopian tubes were like erect or something. I don't know. Maybe she has one of those pear bodies. It's like erect care. I don't <laughs> I don't think that's what that one maybe <laughs> Or that, oh my God, I can't even speak. I don't think that's what that one meant. Um, huh. But continue with okay. uh, like a cadet. Uh, her gray, sun-stained eyes looked back at me with polite, reciprocal curiosity out of a wan, <laughs> charming, discontented face. It occurred to me now that I had seen her, or a picture of her, somewhere before. You live in West Egg, she remarked contemptuously. <laughs> I know someone there. I don't know a single... You must know Gatsby. Gatsby, demanded Daisy. Oh, what's Gatsby? Before I could reply that he was my neighbor, dinner was announced... Wedging his tense arm imperatively under mine, Tom Buchanan compelled me from the room as though he was moving a checker to another square. Slenderly, languidly, their hands set lightly on their hips, the two young women preceded us out onto a rosy-colored porch, open towards the sunset, where four candles flickered on the table in the diminished wind. "'Why, candles!' objected Daisy, frowning. She snapped them out with her fingers— in two weeks, it'll be the longest day in the year, she looked at us radiantly. Do you always watch for the longest day of the year and then miss it? I always watch for the longest day in the year and then miss it. We ought to plan something, yawned Miss Baker, sitting down at the table as if she was getting into bed. All right, said Daisy. What do we plan? She turned to me helplessly. What do people plan? Before I could answer her, eyes face fastened with an awed expression on her little finger. Look, she complained. I heard it. We all looked. The knuckle was black and blue. You did it, Tom, Daisy said accusingly. I know you didn't mean to, but you did do it. That's what I get for marrying a brute of a man, a great big hulking physical specimen of a... I hate the word hulking, objected Tom crossly, even in kidding. Hulking, insisted Daisy. Sometimes she and Miss Baker talked at once, unobtrusively and with a bantering inconsequence that was never quite chatter, that was as cool as their white dresses and their impersonal eyes in the absence of all desire. They were here, and they accepted what? Tom and me. What does Hulkin mean? We gotta find Hulkin? that out. Hulkin? Like, oh, Hulk. like the Hulk, just getting, oh, okay. Yeah. They hate that? Okay. Tom okay. hates it. He's like, I hate that word. Okay. Um... Is it because it makes him feel like bar like Dave the Barbarian? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think he just doesn't like. I don't know. He's he's impetuous for sure. Uh, they knew that presently dinner would be over, and a little later the evening too would be over and casually put away. It was sharply different from the West, where an evening was hurried from phase to phase towards its close in a continually disappointed anticipation, or else in sheer nervous dread of the moment itself. You make me feel uncivilized, Daisy. I confess on my second glass of corky, but rather impressive claret. Is that claret? Is that wine? Corky, but rather impl- What's a claret? Claret. 
A red wine from Bordeaux. Oh, he spelled it. Okay. I've seen, the, I've seen, he spelled it without the I in the book for some reason. Okay. Um, can't you talk about crops or something? I meant nothing in regard, in particular, by this remark, but it was taken up in an unexpected way. Civilization's going to pieces, broke out Tom violently. Oh, he's a QAnon. He would totally be into QAnon. <laughs> it was modern. I've gotten to be a terrible pessimist about things. Have you read The Rise of the Colored Empires by this man Goddard? Why, no, I answered, rather surprised by Tom's tone. Well, it's a fine book, and everyone ought to read it. The idea is if we don't look out, the white race will be, will be utterly submerged. Oh, I knew it. I knew he was going to be in QAnon. It's all scientific stuff. It's been proven. Tom's getting very profound, said Daisy, with an expression of unthoughtful sadness. He reads deep books with long words in them. What was that word we... Well, these books are all scientific, insisted Tom, glancing at her impatiently. This fellow has worked out the whole thing. It's up to us, who are the dominant race, to watch out for these other races. We have to control of things. We've got to beat him down, whispered Daisy, winking for, for, ferociously towards the fervent sun. I didn't know they were this racist. Shit. Oh, my God. You ought to live in California, began Miss Baker, but Tom interrupted her by shifting heavily in his chair. The idea is that we're Nordics. I am, and you are, and you are, and... After an infinitesimal hesitation, he included Daisy with a slight nod, and she winked at me again. And we produced all the things that go to make civilization. Oh, science and art and all that, don't you see? There was something pathetic in his concentration, as if his complacency, more acute than of old, was not enough to him anymore. When almost immediately the f telephone rang inside and the butler left the porch, Daisy seized upon the moment Terry interruption and leaned towards me. I'll tell you a family secret, she whispered enthusiastically. It's about the butler's nose. Do you want to hear about the butler's nose? Well, that's why I came over tonight. Well, he wasn't always a butler. He used to be the <laughs> silver polisher for some people in New York and had a silver service for 200 people. He had to polish it from morning till night until finally it began to affect his nose. Eh. Things went from bad to worse, suggested Miss Baker. Yes, things went from bad to worse until finally he had to give up his position. So, and that's how cocaine was actually invented. <laughs> no, um, okay, we're, oh, I skipped a page just to see where we're at in the chapter. Um, for a moment, the last sunshine fell with romantic affection upon Daisy's glowing face. Her voice compelled me forward breathlessly, and as I listened, then the glow faded, each light deserting her with a lingering regret, like children leading a pleasant street at dark. The butler came back and murmured something close to Tom's ear, whereupon Tom frowned, pushed back his chair, and without a word went inside. As if his absence quickened something within her, Daisy leaned forward again, her voice glowing and singing, "'I love to see you at my table, Nick.' You remind me of, of a rose, an absolute rose, doesn't he? Daisy turned to Miss Baker for confirmation. An absolute rose? This was untrue. I am not even faintly like a rose. She was over-extemporizing, but a stirring warmth flowed from her, as if her heart was trying to come out to you concealed in one of those breathless, thrilling words. Then suddenly she threw her napkin on the table and excused herself and went into the house. Miss Baker and I exchanged a short glance, consciously devoid of meaning. I was about to speak up when she sat up alertly and said, shh, in a warning voice. A subdued, impassioned murmur was audible in the room beyond, and Miss Baker leaned forward, unashamed, trying to hear. The murmur trembled on the verge of coherence, sank down, mouthed excitedly, and then ceased altogether. Are you enjoying the book? I can't... <laughs> I feel like we haven't had anything to say. <laughs> I, I am enjoying this very, very much. <laughs> it's good. The, dra the dramatics, it's just. We haven't had a gay, we haven't had a gay euphemism though in a minute though. I really, I mean, <laughs> I think we need to perk ourselves well, up. Well, because all these women just started coming into this chapter, like in this book. <laughs> but <laughs> well, when the, the love. <laughs> this, Miss this Mr. Gatsby you speak of is my neighbor. I said, don't talk. I want to hear something happens. <laughs> is, is something happening? I inquired inno innocently. You mean to say you didn't know? Our, Matt, this is literally where our listeners are probably like, don't talk, I want to see like if something is happening. <laughs> <laughs> you mean to say you didn't know? 
said Miss Baker, honestly surprised. I thought everybody knew. I, I don't. Why? She said hesitantly. Tom's got some woman in New York. Got some woman? I repeated blankly. Miss Baker and nodded. Been, like, I want to emphasize the the man part in the word woman. <laughs> woman. Woman. <laughs> he is a woman. In <laughs> a woke man. Miss <laughs> Baker nodded. This, uh, so the woman in New York, she might have the decency not to telephone Tom at dinner time, don't you think? Almost before I had grasped her meaning, there was a flutter of a dress and the clutch of leather boots, and Tom and Daisy were back at the table. It couldn't be helped, cried Daisy with tense gaiety. She sat down, glanced searchingly at Miss Baker and then at me, and continued, I looked outdoors for a minute. It's very romantic outdoors. There's a bird on the lawn, and I think that might be a nightingale come over the canard or a white star line, and he's singing away, her voice sang. It's romantic, isn't it, Tom? Very romantic, he said, and then miserably to me, if it's light enough after dinner, I want to take you down to the stables. The telephone rang inside <laughs> startlingly. Oh, my God, take me down to the stables. Oh, I know. When was no, the last time a man said that no. to you, Jess? Oh. <laughs> Saddle each other up, please. I cannot wait for chapter two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think maybe in the future we should just read Great Gatsby fan fiction. <laughs> we really oh, should. Let's do it after we read the book. We'll read the book and read some Okay, that'll be part two. <laughs> um, the telephone rang inside startlingly, and as Daisy shook her head decisively at Tom, the subject of the stables, in fact, all subjects vanished into air. Among the broken fragments of the last five minutes at table, I remember the candles being lit again, pointlessly, and I was conscious of wanting to look squarely at every one, and yet to avoid all eyes. I couldn't guess what Tom and Daisy were thinking, but I doubt if even Miss Baker, who seemed to have mastered a certain hearty skepticism, was able to utterly put out this fifth guest's shrill, metallic urgency out of mind. To a certain temperament, the situation might have been intriguing. My own instinct was to telephone immediately for the police. The horses, needless to say, were not mentioned again. Tom and Miss Baker, with several feet of twilight between them, strolled back into the library as if to a vigil beside a perfectly tangible body while trying to look out a pleasantly interested and a little deaf. I followed Daisy around a chain of connecting verandas to the porch front. In its deep gloom, we sat down side by side on a wicker settee. Daisy took her face in her hands as if feeling its lovely shape, and her eyes moved gradually out into the velvet dusk. I saw that turbulent emotions possessed her, so I asked what I thought would be some sedative questions about her little girl. We don't even know each other very well, Nick, she said suddenly. Even if we are cousins, you didn't come to my wedding. I wasn't back from the war. That's true, she hesitated, remembering the gay sex that I had across the seas. I mean, oh, that's not there. That's not there. <laughs> that's true. I like that, like, you didn't come to my wedding, bitch. I was in World War One. <laughs> like, Honestly, what? though, like, you really should have came to her wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine back then? Like, I feel like they would, they'd be like, get back in line. Like, you're, like, who's going to ask off for my cousin's wedding? Um, I honestly, like, it's kind of crazy to think when you go to war, you don't really get, like, PTO. You don't get, like, a mental health day ever. No. <laughs> I'm not, I don't really want to kill people today, so I'm just going to, like, take a five. Yeah, like a little break. And they're like, um, excuse me? <laughs> Sick time. Ah, ah, I can't be in the front line. Ah, I know yeah. it's D-Day. Ah, I can't do it. <laughs> um, Where are we at? Um, That's true, she hesitated. Well, I've had a very bad time, Nick, and I'm pretty cynical about everything. Evidently, she had a reason to be. I waited, but she didn't say any more, and after a moment, I returned rather feebly to the subject of her daughter. I suppose she talks and eats and everything. Oh, that's him. I suppose she talks and eats and everything. Oh, yes. Daisy looked at me absently. Listen, Nick, I I'll tell you what I said when she was born. Would you like to hear? Very much. It'll show you how I've gotten to feel about things. Well, she was less than an hour old and time was God knows where. I woke up out of, out of the ether with an utterly abandoned feeling and asked the nurse right away if it was a boy or a girl. She told me it was a girl, and so I turned my head away and wept. All right, I said. I'm glad it's a girl. 
and I hope she'll be a fool. That's the best thing that a girl can be in this world. A beautiful little fool. Oh, Jess, representation for you today. Oh, I love it. Oh, my God, Matthew. <laughs> I'm not a fool. I'm bozo. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, I can't qualify because I'm not beautiful. I'm definitely a fool. But, you know. But, like, yeah. But just because you're a fool doesn't mean you're. I get what Daisy. I get what Daisy means here, though. Like you know, it's like what she's basically saying is like, I hope my daughter isn't like smart and realizes like the limitations of the world around her. I want her to just be vapid. Oh, like ignorant. Yeah. Yeah. Really fun. Everything is great until you like start doing research and you're like, oh well, now I can't enjoy this anymore. (laughs) Well, and I feel like there's a lot of people out there who just seem to like not be ignorant maybe purposely but like they seem not to really like recognize certain things like there was this article that talks about how like smarter people artistic people tend to have more mental health issues because they realize like the problems that are happening in the world around them and like that nothing's getting done and like these like issues and like people who don't have those you know those inclinations yeah yeah, probably pretty happy people yeah they don't think about it it's crazy (laughs) for sure i agree you see i think every you see, I think everything's terrible anyhow, Daisy went on in a convinced way. Everything, everybody thinks so, the most advanced people, and I know I've been everywhere and seen everything and done everything. Her eyes flashed around her in a defiant way, rather like Tom's, and Daisy laughed with thrilling scorn. Sophisticated, God, I'm sophisticated. The instant her voice broke off, ceasing to compel my intention, my belief, I felt the basic insincerity of what she had said. It made me uneasy, as though the whole evening had been a trick of some sort to exact a contributory emotion from me. I had an absolute... I waited, and sure enough, in the moment she looked at me with an absolute smirk on her lovely face, as if she had asserted her membership in a rather distinguished secret society to which she and Tom belonged. Inside, the crimson room bloomed with light. Tom and Miss Baker sat at the either end of a long couch, and she read aloud to him from the Saturday Evening Post... The words, murmurous and uninflected, running together in a soothing tune. The lamplight, bright on the boots and dull on the autumn leaf yellow of her hair, glinted along the papers as she turned a page with a flutter of slender muscles in her arms. When we came in, she held us silent for a moment with a lifted hand. To be continued. Oh, wait, I don't, I don't know who's saying this. Oh, to be continued. It's said, Oh. No, I think it's, uh, it's Mrs. Baker. She said, tossing the magazine on the table, in our very next issue. Her body asserted itself with a restless movement of her knee, and she stood up. Ten o'clock, she remarked, apparently finding the time on the ceiling. Time for this good girl to go to bed. Jordan is going to play in the tournament tomorrow, explained Daisy, over at Westchester. Oh, you're Jordan Baker. I knew why her now face was familiar. Its pleasing, contemptuous expression had looked out on me for many Rotogravere pictures of the sporting life at Asheville and Hot Springs and Palm Beach. I had heard the st- I had heard some story of her too, a critical, unpleasant story. But what it was, I had forgotten long ago. Good night, she said softly. Wake me at eight, won't you? If you get up, I will. Good night, Mister Caraway. See you anon. See you anon. I mean, there must be another time. Like, see you anon. Of course you will. Confirmed Daisy. In fact, I think I'll arrange a marriage. Come over often, Nick, and I'll sort of oh, fling you together. You know, lock you up accidentally in linen closets and push you out to a boat, uh, push you out to sea in a boat and all that kind of thing. Good night, called Miss Baker from the stairs. I haven't heard a word. <laughs> She's a nice girl, said Tom <laughs> after a moment. They oughtn't to let her run around the country this way. Who ought to? inquired <laughs> Daisy coldly. Her family. Her family is one aunt about a thousand years old. Besides, Nick's going to look after her, aren't you, Nick? She's going to spend lots of weekends out here this summer. I think the home influence will be very good for her. Daisy and and Tom stared at each other in a moment of silence. (laughs) Is she from New York? I asked quickly. From Louisville. Our white girlhood was passed together there. Our beautiful white... Did you give Nick a little heart-to-heart talk on the veranda? Demanded Tom suddenly. Did I? Daisy looked at me. I can't seem to remember, but I think we talked about the Nordic race. Yeah, yes, I'm sure we did it. Kind of crept up on us, and the first thing you know, don't believe everything you hear, Nick, Tom advised me. I said lightly that I had heard nothing at all, and a few minutes later I got up to go home. They came to the door with me and stood side by side in a cheery square of light. 
As I started my motor, Daisy preemptively called, Wait! I forgot to ask you something, and it's important. We heard you were engaged to a girl out west. Oh? That's right, corroborated Tom kindly. We heard that you were engaged. Okay, why'd you have to say that, Tom? Daisy said that. I hate when man, men have to re-say what women said. Ridiculous. It's libel. Like, emphasize the important importance of being a douchebag. So. <laughs> I love it. It's libel. I'm too poor. But we heard it. This is a Daisy. Surprising me by opening up again in a flower-like way. We heard it from three people, so it must be true. Of course, I knew that they were referring to, but I wasn't even vaguely engaged. The fact that Gossip had published the beans on, was one of the reasons I had come east. You can't stop going with an old friend on account of rumors, and on the other hand, I had no intention of being rumored into marriage. Their interest rather touched me and made them less remotely rich. Nevertheless, <laughs> I was confused and a little dis disgusted as I drove away. It seemed to me that the thing for Daisy to do was rush out of the house, child in arms, but apparently there was no such intentions in her head. And as for Tom, the fact that he had some woman in New York, well, was really less surprising than that he had been depressed by a book. Something was making him <laughs> nibble at the edge of stale ideas as if his sturdy physical egotism no longer nourished his preemptory heart. Already it was deep summer on roadhouse roofs and on, and in front of wayward garages where new red gas pumps sat out in pools of light. And when I reached my estate at West Egg, I ran the car under its shed and sat for a while on abandoned grass roller in the yard. The wind had blown off, leaving a loud, bright night, with wings beating in the trees and a persistent organ sound as the full bellows of the earth blew the frogs full of life. <laughs> a silhouette of a moving cat... <laughs> wavered across the moonlight and turning my head to watch it, I saw that I was not alone. Fifty feet away, a figure had emerged from the shadow of my neighbor's mansion and was standing with his hands in his pockets regarding the silver pepper of the stars. <laughs> Something in his leisurely movements and the secure position of his feet upon the lawn suggested that it was Mr. Gatsby himself come out to determine what share was his of our local heavens. I decided to call to him. Miss Baker had mentioned him at dinner and that would do for an introduction. But I didn't call to Gatsby, for he gave a sudden imitation that he was content to be alone. He stretched out his arms toward the dark water in a curious way, and far as I was from him, I could have sworn he was trembling. Involuntarily, I glanced seaward and distinguished nothing except for a single green light, minute and far away, that might have been at the end of the dock. And when I looked once more for Gatsby, he had vanished, and I was alone again in the unquiet darkness. End um, of chapter one. Drama. Any thoughts? We're, I mean, I, here's the thing. If, if, my, if I was married and I had a three-year-old child and my mans was talking about white power and cheating on me with some hoe in the big city, I would be out. I would be out. I had a, and I don't even care. This is 1922, so I think divorce was like illegal. I'd be oh, gone. You can always abandon people. <laughs> yeah, that's been happening forever. I would grab my big purse. I would start like, you know, silverware, you know, the gold candelabra, you know, granny's antique plates, you know, some of the gold change under the bed. Any heirlooms gone. Uh, <laughs> so did they say that they saw Gatsby and brought joy to them and then he went away? So it looks like Nick got home and he looked out and he saw Gatsby and he's like, oh, I should go introduce myself. And then it was like, oh, I think he wants to be alone right now. And then it was like, where's Gatsby staring? He looks, there's a green light in the distance. And he's like, maybe that's where Gatsby was. He turns, Gatsby's gone. So a little mysterious, a little mystique. It's probably like, oh, no, I got to go to the bathroom. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's right. I got to go to the bathroom in the park. <laughs> <laughs> so far, it just sounds like they're curious about a neighbor, but it doesn't really seem like it's about the neighbor just mm. yet. Also, is it is. Oh, sorry. You cut off on me. What was that? I said it sounds like the neighbor, Gatsby, mm -hmm. is like a story right now. So <laughs> kind of curious, but we're going to learn more about these characters. Yeah. Because right I, in order for me to truly connect with these characters, I think we need a chapter two. Ah! 
Also, I love how Daisy was like, well, three people told me that rumor, so it has to be true. Girl, three people can tell you a rumor and it's wrong. Come on. True, but they always say like, when you're trying to decide like pricing for something, you have to look at three places. <laughs> ah! It's so funny. All right, well, that was chapter one of The Great Gatsby. Uh, we'll join us next time as Jess and I will get through chapter two. And hopefully, I don't know, should we keep doing it this late at night? Is this, did this put you to bed? Are you going to go to bed after this? Uh, I mean, what? let's see what time it is. Oh, it's only 11 p.m. on a Sunday. So uh, <laughs> I think we could, you know, we'll break it up. I think I'm going to like pre-read some of these chapters. <laughs> 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 just gonna pre-game, sure. pre-game the party baby <laughs> right i and then we'll as each chapter we should just like slowly transform ourselves into the 1920s <laughs> yes hello my baby hello my darling hello my ragtime gal jazz hands champagne towers breaking news breaking news <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we'll see you on episode two of Rebar Reads. Have a great rest of your night. Peace out.